Welcome to the Scholars and Storytellers podcast, a podcast brought to you by the Center for Scholars and Storytellers at UCLA. This episode, recorded on August 26, 2021, is titled Authentically Representing Disability in Media, with Tatiana Lee and Michelle Lachese, moderated by Sheena Brevik. Tatiana Lee is a disabled actress, model, and lifestyle influencer who, amongst other roles, works with respectability as an entertainment media consultant on various TV and film projects. Michelle Lachese is a CSS research assistant with a background in psychology and disability studies, who is currently working on several projects with CSS regarding disability, teens, and media. Our moderator, Sheena Brevig, is a CSS junior fellow and a filmmaker who is passionate about using storytelling as advocacy for mental health and disability awareness, particularly in our LGBTQ and Asian communities. We would like to note that this episode was recorded from a live Clubhouse conversation and might involve slightly garbled audio. Thank you for tuning in and we hope you enjoy. Welcome to another Clubhouse conversation from the Center for Scholars and Storytellers. My name is Sheena Brevig. I use she, her pronouns, and I am a CSS junior fellow. I'm a filmmaker and relationship and communication coach with a background in neuroscience as well. Um, and I'm really passionate about using science and storytelling to advocate for mental health and disability awareness, particularly in my LGBTQ and Asian communities. At CSS, we bridge the gap between scholars and storytellers to support positive youth development, offering research-based, actionable insights for authentic and inclusive content for audiences ages 10 to 25. These clubhouse conversations are another opportunity for us to really bring insights to content creators. So tonight's conversation is about representing disability in media. I am joined by two fantastic guests who are passionate like I am about increasing the visibility of disability in the entertainment industry. Our guests are Tatiana Lee, um, who works with respectability as an entertainment media consultant on various TV and film projects. She conducts training for studios and production companies and assists with respectability's lab for entertainment professionals with disabilities. She is also the voice behind the accessible Hollywood brand highlighting her journey as an actress, model, and lifestyle influencer born with spina bifida. She quickly has become a sought-after speaker in the entertainment and media space and volunteers her time as a disability advocate for Women of Color Unite. And then our second guest is Michelle Lachese, and she is a research assistant at CSS, an academic, mental health activist, and video game enthusiast. And she has a background in psychology and disability studies from UCLA and Pepperdine University. She's currently working on several projects with CSS regarding disability, teens, and media, and I am lucky enough to get to work with her on some of these. And she is passionate about the intersection between interactive media and mental health and has written, written several articles on the topic of video games and adolescent mental health. Oof. Um, I am really, really excited to be able to have this conversation with you both. Um, kind of as we jump in, you know, I, I want to kind of pose this idea that I really, I really love thinking about where, you know, disability is the only minority group that anyone can join at any time. So when we think about, you know, the relevance to each and every person, you know, disability is the only minority group that anyone can join at any time. And people with disabilities are the largest minority in the world. So 
this is a really important conversation on so many levels. So I would love to start off with just kind of us going around and talking about how we all kind of identify with um, the disability community because we all kind of are bringing various experiences. And so I'll start really quickly and I'll just share that I deal with generalized anxiety disorder, but in my case, I actually I personally struggle with identifying as disabled because I have that thing where I'm like, oh, am I anxious enough to, you know, consider this? Um, and so that's where I'm at, if I'm honest, in my journey. Um, but then I have a younger brother who has cerebral palsy. So the disability community has been a part of my life, my entire life, and is a really, really important uh, community to me. And it's really largely why I also became a filmmaker, and it's important to me to be promoting authentic, inclusive um, disability representation. So I'll toss it to you, Tatiana. I would love for you to kind of share a little bit about, you know, how and where you identify within the disability community. Well, it's interesting of how you said how you identify, I think, because the way I identify is completely on the opposite spectrum of that, which is quite interesting. I identify um, very closely with the disability community. I was born with my disability. I was born with a very, very visible disability. I was born with spina bifida um, and grew up. I was paralyzed from the waist down. I um, had to have lots of surgeries. I had very deformed feet. Um, so I had spent a lot of time in the hospital and things like that. And so um, I couldn't hide my disability. And so it was almost as if I could identify, no, I'd not say that I couldn't identify. People identified me as a part of the community before I even knew I was a part of it. Um, if that makes sense. Totally. Um, I'll never forget my mom till to this day tells me, and she says, when you were a little girl, she said, people would walk up to you and she said, you'd have like leg braces on. And she was like, you know, and you'd be on your walker and she's like, you'd be in cast and all these things. And she said, people would walk up to you and ask you what is wrong with you. And she's like, these were grown adults that would ask a little five-year-old what is wrong with you. And she said, and your response was always, nothing is wrong with me. What's wrong with you? Um, <laughs> I love that. I love that. Um, so I could closely identify and, and before I even knew what it meant. And so I, you know, just grew up with that as a part of me. And, but then I, I didn't also didn't grow up around other people with disabilities. And so mm -hmm. I spent a lot of time being the only one, um, which was quite interesting. So. Yes. Thank you for sharing that. And Michelle, how about you? What is your relationship uh, with the disability community? <laughs> uh, well, it's wonderful to talk to both of you. And I love that, that reaction to adults asking you very personalized questions. It's fantastic. Um, Shane, I'm a bit in the same boat as you were. I, I also have GAD, but I actually never think about it as a disability. Um, but I also have uh, dyslexia and I've been dyslexic my entire life, but I didn't know it until I was uh, in college. And I have like these very distinct memories from like ninth grade and I'm in advanced math and I was like, I'm, I'm good at this. And I'm reading something off of the, the chart and the teacher looks at me and she's like, hey, can you, can you say that again? And I was like, yeah. And I read it again. And she goes, one more time. 
I was like, okay, why? I'm getting frustrated at this point. Like, why are you telling me this? And she goes, the number is, and then says the actual number. And I had it all completely mixed up. I was reading the number wrong. And at the end of that, she's like, hey, uh, I'm going to write you a note. I want you go, to go up to UCLA and get tested for dyslexia. And as a little ninth grader, I went, yeah, I'm not giving this note to my parents. Nothing's wrong. I'm not going to really deal with it. Um, because just being the word disabled wasn't even in my vocabulary at that point. I didn't really know what it was. And like, it was all around me. Um, also like you, Shana, I have my sibling ended up being, had multiple different types of disabilities throughout her life for a developmental. She had aphasia when she was a kid. So she didn't speak until she was like three and a half, four years old. So she got put into that program with a bunch of different, you know, kids with different neurodivergencies. So it was always normal. It wasn't something that was like, I had to learn it. It was already part of my life. And then later on, she um, ended up breaking her hip at age 12. And so she was in a wheelchair for about a year and a half, had to relearn how to walk, how to redo all of those things. And she still has, I think we're coming up on her 10th year anniversary of the two titanium pins in her, in her leg. And they're really long. It's always it's always a funny joke. But it was such a normal thing that the word and the vocabulary of it didn't come until college. And that's when like the labeling started because it was just it's there. This is what you live with. This is what you do. You continue moving forward. So it's kind of nice in college to learn a little bit more about the community and get a little bit more involved. Um, I know ASL and I learned ASL through UCLA and it's been very great to be able to connect with that community and the deaf community and go from that forward. It's interesting and I know we'll probably get into this a little bit later or at some point but it was very interesting that both of you said that you at the time didn't identify as having a disability but then you both talked about your siblings who had very visible disability. And this goes to a question, a conversation that I have with people all the time. And the work that I do is you see disability as something very visible, as something you can usually think wheelchair, handicap, placard. And to you, that's disabled. And it's like, you know, you know, thinking of it that it's a broader spectrum. So I thought that was quite interesting. That's so funny. And yeah, I, I, I feel like there's a lot that I have um, yet to learn from you, Tatiana, specifically. Um, really quick uh, side note, Michelle, when you're not speaking, do you mind just muting? And then um, I think your microphone might be rubbing against something when you're talking. So just so we get clear audio, just take take note of that in case that's happening. Um, okay, back to the conversation. Um, so I know that a lot of people who are not familiar with uh, the disabled community really get scared of the word disabled or disability. And, you know, there were terms like special needs and high functioning and differently abled. And recently I've heard that it's kind of come back around where disabled seems to be the word that we should be using. Uh, Tatiana, I would love uh, your input. And then Michelle, if you have anything to add. Yes. Um, so to that point, use the word disabled. I think uh, non-disabled people in society have a fear of that word because it has a, a negative connotation in their eyes. But I, I always challenge people to think about it this way. Um, you know, when we had the Civil Rights Act, people with disabilities weren't included in that Civil Rights Act. 
Um, you know, they had, you know, based on religion and based on, you know, creed and, you know, race and all those things, but it did not include disability. So people with disabilities didn't have civil rights um, and access to services and goods and things like that and access until the Americans with Disabilities Act. Um, and so that's one thing I challenge people to think about. That is a literal law that was put into place. Um, this year, we just celebrated the 31 years that it's been in place. Um, yay. Yay. Um, there's still a lot of more work to be done. But, you know, the people that fought to make that piece of uh, law happen made sure that I had access to, you know, going to school, getting a job, being able to go to the doctors, things like that, whereas people could completely discriminate against me before that. Um, so I think that's one thing people need to think about. And another thing is the words like differently abled and special needs. These are words that were created by non-disabled people to make them feel comfortable. These aren't words that the disability community themselves came up with. Yes, some people have adopted them because that's what they've been told their entire life. Um, but, you know, we really want to claim that word back and see it as something empowering. I am disabled. I, you know, I identify people tell me, how do I, I identify? I'm a disabled black woman. And that's how I see the world and through that lens. And, you know, we look at it as an identity. And just like we were talking about intersectionality, I can't take away my disability just as much as I can't take away the fact that I'm black or that I'm a woman. Um, they're all a part of me. And so that's a part of how I identify. And, you know, I can't stand the word special needs because it's, it's like everyone has needs. Why is my needs any different than someone else's? So why should you call it special needs? Why is my needs completely different than yours? Because why? If certain things aren't accessible because a place doesn't have wheelchair access, my needs are all of a sudden special. I mean... Those are just my thoughts. <laughs> that and you know, with a younger brother, um, with cerebral palsy, I grew up with special needs was the word that I knew, right? Like that's just what the language was at the time. And hearing you explain explain it like that is really that is really great. So yeah. thank you, Michelle. Do you have any any thoughts? Uh, first, is is this sound a little bit better? Yes, that's great. Thanks. Okay, switch from the AirPods. Um, uh, the only thing really to to just echo is getting comfortable with the word and getting comfortable with that ideology because it really just helps us moving forward. Because if you start using different words, you start mixing up different phrases and giving them different meanings. And just, it's, it's as simple as that. It's not a scary word. It's just what it is. Um, so just echoing what, what Tatiana had to say it was brilliantly put. Thank you. Um, I see that Alex has just joined and he's a friend of mine. So, hey, Alex. <laughs> um, and so I, I feel like there's so much more I want to ask you both about this, but let's dive into the media stuff since that's really what we're here to talk about. Um, so I have this statistic that in the U.S. today, one in four people, about 26%, have a disability. And yet on screen, only 3.1% of characters are disabled. And in children's television, it's actually less than 1%. So 
I kind of want to dig into some of the um, issues around, you know, like, why is this an issue? Why does it matter that, you know, we need to have more accurate representation of disability on screen? Tashi, do you want to? Oh, go for it. (laughs) So the question is, why do we need to see or do what is? Yes, like what? because right now the representation, the rates of representation are so low, you know, like why, why should people care? Why is it important? So I have a few reasons. Um, One is you should care, especially, you know, with, you know, the state of the world that we are, that we are in, especially with COVID, you know, um, you know, and there's a lot of people that are going to have long COVID and, you know, anxiety is the number one thing that people are claiming to have, all of which are classified as a disability. Um, so I think people should care because, like you said, disability is the only group that anyone can join at any point. So why wouldn't you want to represent that? Um, and I know for me, the reason I got into this work that I do as a consultant and an activist of having these conversations, because when I was a kid, I didn't see myself represented. I still to this day have yet to see a disabled black woman being a lead in her own series, you know, just being who she is. Um, And anytime I did see it in anything, uh, whether it be a short film or something like that, it was literally me playing it. Um, and so, you know, growing up as a kid, that played a huge part on me. That played a huge significant, uh, part in so much of my life from education. Um, I was jumped back and forth between, you know, special quote unquote, special education and quote unquote mainstream. Um, and I spent a lot of time being picked on and teased and bullied and, you know, dealt with depression at a young age. I was 15 years old the first time I contemplated suicide. And, you know, that's a real conversation that needs to be had. And it was because I didn't see representation of myself. I didn't have anything to tell me that I could finish school. I could go to college. I could one day have a job. All of those things. I didn't have anything that could tell me that was possible to the point where, you know, I had family members that distilled that in me. Oh, you know, you can go to college, but then there's always that thing just even in your own family's mind of, will she ever go to college? And my family, it was like, if you want to pursue something, go for it. But my family was very comfortable with the fact of if I never accomplished anything to the point where everyone would always put it in my mind that I would spend the rest of my life living with my mother. And it was like, no one has any, you know, hope for me for a future. How can I have hope for myself? Um, and knowing that I can accomplish so many things. So I think that's one thing. And then just how you feel about yourself, you know, self-esteem and, you know, all of those different things is so important. And when you don't see yourself, it, it plays a huge, huge part and was a significant reason of why I spent a huge part of my life being depressed and 
contemplating suicide and in therapy and all of these different things. Um, and then I'll, you know, shut up because I've probably talked way too much. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, this is all, this is all so important. And thank you for just sharing that with us. You know, it's, it's hard stuff. And, and I really appreciate your honesty and openness there. Hi, listeners. We hope that you are enjoying this episode of the Scholars and Storytellers podcast. The Center for Scholars and Storytellers is an organization dedicated to bridging the gap between scholars and storytellers to promote positive youth development. Are you interested in learning more about the other projects we are working on? Check out our website at scholarsandstorytellers.com and find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube by searching Scholars and Storytellers. Now back to the conversation. What I'm hearing is, you know, not only is it so important for those in the community, but it's also important for those who don't identify as part of the community because everyone plays into kind of these yes. lower expectations. That it's exactly, set. exactly. So if my family did see someone in a wheelchair being a lawyer or being a doctor, you know, people, she could say, oh my gosh, she's in a wheelchair. And actually when I was a kid, you know, when she did see someone in a wheelchair, she would bring it to my attention. Look, Toddy, they're in a wheelchair too. And, you know, or they had a disability or if she heard them say they had spina bifida, they have spina bifida because it was something that I could look at and identify with. And she knew how important that was for me. Um, and, uh, and there, but I just wanted to make one more point to your question. There's a financial aspect to it too, to people that, you know, that are on the other mm -hmm. side that mm -hmm. makes these decisions. According to Nielsen, the disability market is worth over a trillion dollars. Um, and so with that, it's like there's a financial impact for people that are creating content, that are advertisers, all of those different things. There's something financial to gain from that as well. So I'm hearing we just need to come together and tap into this trillion dollar industry. <laughs> Yes. Um, Michelle, uh, would love to hear from you um, on your thoughts around, you know, why why is accurate re representation of disability important? Yeah, absolutely. I did not know that statistic from uh, Nielsen, and that's shocking. I love it. Um, but not only just like the individuals who are in the, the community and like also that statistic of, you know, one in what you said, four people. Um, having yes. disability, that's a that's a lot of people that's a lot yeah. of people in the united states a lot lots of people in the world and like for me I, I think i was around it a lot more than other individuals just because of my sister and where where we were at um most of her cohort of, of kids growing up were some type of neurodiversity or different type of disability so it was just like a normal occurrence for me and i think a lot about the like internal biases that we get from watching television from tv and reading these medias at a young age like i grew up with this i understand it it wasn't shocking to me and it was shocking to me that people didn't take disability into account but that's because i grew up with it and i understood it from that point of view but there's a whole host of people that don't that never see it that never understand it and um uh, shane and i have had this conversation a couple of times but just having the accurate representation within media starts that conversation and starts people at even kids, like thinking about kids growing up. Like if you teach them at a young age, what, you know, this is what happens. This is how people work in the world. Some people are different than us. Some people need 
these assistances, some people need this, and you see it in media just utilized in an an inconsequential way, just like this is how the world works. They grow up to be those like-minded individuals that this is just how the world works, and you start thinking about accessibility and how we even build the world going forward. Because how can you build the world going forward if you're not even aware it exists? Um, And as you were talking, one of the things that I I was thinking about was something that I didn't learn until I was in college was about deaf architecture. And I'm like, what in the world is that? And I had the fortunate experience of uh, visiting Gallaudet University, which is one of the only deaf universities um, in the United States in Washington, D.C. And the way that they build their campuses is fantastic. It's it's wonderful. It's um, You've got things like rounded corners. So that way people who are speaking and signing with each other don't run into anything and they can still see as they move open um, places, different lighting, different types of things for that accessibility. And that's something I never really saw before in, well, I don't really see deaf people being um, represented in media at all, but it's the design is so crucial to what they do and also helps people without being deaf. And I think we see that a lot in almost every case of something being built for a disabled individual helping the rest of the world out. And, um, and you know, Tatiana, you could talk a little bit more about this. I think you'd have a little bit more to say, but just when we help everyone, everyone gets gets that help out. So if we help someone, like the typewriter, for example, was um, created for people who were disabled and now it turned into the computer we use, utilize all the time. And so if we start building that, at a younger age with these kids, with the media, they're going to grow up to already think about accessibility and what's the best way that we can make sure everyone's included. And it will become less and less of a problem as we just instill that in our society. Yes, definitely. I agree. Um, Other things that were invented for people that are disabled, um, texting. Everyone used texting. Texting was created for people that are deaf. to be able to communicate, like that's something. Ramps uh, that are on sidewalks, you know, it was created for people with disabilities. People with disabilities had to fight for ramps. And now people that have strollers and carts and all of those things and luggage can use these ramps. And so, so much of society is is designed, um, you know, as we think about accessibility, it benefits everyone. And I think that's a really, really great point. Um, which is a concept we call universal design. So universal design is the ideal that everything in society is built for everyone to be able to use. So it's the concept of like where ramps are more of a standard than, you know, stairs starting to think in terms of that, you know, even, you know, now, even on TikTok, people have, you know, words coming up and you know as they speak that that is an accessibility tool for people who are deaf and so thinking about that and then another one that's uh, pretty interesting too is when you use image description so on social media and on your website and things like that if you use image description which helps people um who are blind use screen readers to be able to consume the content it actually increases your seo uh, search engine optimization on Google. So not only are you making it accessible to someone who's using a screen reader, you're more likely to show up quicker on Google 
So there's so many different benefits that support when you think of accessibility. Thank you both for sharing those points. Um, yeah, that that is so important to think about in terms of universal design. I have a stat that I think I shared on a previous clubhouse conversation, but it it says that disability inclusive workplaces achieve 28% higher revenue, 30% higher profit margins, 90% higher retention rates, and 72% increase in employee productivity. So, you know, again, it's just there's so much, you know, research out there, data out there that shows how important it is to be inclusive. When we think about the representations we do see in media, I would love to hear kind of, you know, I'm sure all three of us can speak to this, um, but what are some of the common problems that we're seeing with how disabled characters are portrayed? Michelle, I'll start with you this time. Uh, so (laughs) there's a list, but to, to start off, just like using disabled people as a prop in, in media to just move the, the plot forward for whatever the main character is. And this is just like such a common problem in different medias you see. And you're like, what, did we really need to just add this person and just make it a big deal that they have this sort of disability just so that I am so sorry, someone is calling in. We'll come back to you. Um, but yes, I, I know, Michelle, you and I have talked about this where it's, you know, a disabled character is kind of used just to move the story forward to maybe inspire someone or to maybe cause a problem that has to be solved. Oh, I'll, I'll let you pick up. Yeah, sorry about that. There's All good. Phones everywhere. Um, but yeah, like moving that forward and then, or the idea, and this is like a common term uh, used in DS, just inspiration porn. Just, <laughs> oh my God, they can do it so I can. It's like, don't, I, I don't want your pity party, like, they're their own person, their own characteristics, their own wants and needs. And we should be portraying that. We should be seeing that because it's a full person. And you have to think about that with any type of character you do. So am I adding this aspect, whether it's race, whether it's gender, whether it's disability, just to move this plot forward? Or do I actually care about this character? And can it be done without using that aspect? And then the last thing, um, a little bit more on like less of the physical disability side, but more of like neurodivergency is not naming what the disability is and just kind of skirting around that idea and never really mentioning what it is that is happening. So uh, and I, Shane and I have talked about this, but my best example is Sheldon Cooper from The Big Bang Theory, who very clearly has traits that can be attributed to autism. But it's never said that. They never mention whether he is autistic or if that's what he's doing. And instead, we're kind of just annoyed by the things he does. But it's very clear that that's what they kind of based things off of. And by not naming it, they're hurting that community. They're hurting that community by just kind of using it as something of like, oh, it's just this quirk he does, instead of really talking about like how they can support him and how they can really understand him moving forward within this plot with that diagnosis and so really just like not we talked about this earlier but not being afraid of the word disability and not being afraid of being disabled or having your main character be disabled it's a part of their who they are yes at times they might need different things than other individuals would but that's just 
life. Everyone's going to need different things. So just just name it. Thank you. Tatiana, throw it to you. <laughs> yes, I agree. I agree. First of all, name it and definitely don't continue to use it as, like you said, this proper, this true. Um, so many times, you know, I, I read scripts where it's like, you know, the disabled person is there and, oh, they have this horrible sob story and this is what happened. And so now, like you said, it's warming the heart of the other person and this other person is a savior because they took care of them and all of these different things. And it's like really, really horrible. And then, you know, while we're talking about, you know, media and, you know, disability, but also talking about children's content, um, there was a study that was done by the Gina Davis Institute. And even with that number that you said of how much we have of children's television, I think they said in, in this study, they found that kids were more likely to be rescued or die. And I was like, this is children's content we're talking about. So you mean the little bit of children's content we have of kids with disabilities, they're more likely to die. And it's like, yes that's what we're telling people that like, if you're disabled, you're better off just dead. And it's just this sad, horrible story. And it's like, that's what I'm tired of. It's like, why can't I just live my best life? Why can't I just be happy having friends and having all these interests and all these different things. And, you know, just be me. And it's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. I, I I remember I have that stat here too and and characters with disabilities um I think it's like are three times more likely to die. Yes. <laughs> with the kids content, right? Like that's that's uh man. I that's a really really interesting point that, you know, even within kids content, that's what we'll, the message we're we're sharing. Exactly. Hi, listeners. We hope that you're enjoying this episode of the Scholars and Storytellers podcast. If you like what you're hearing, please rate and review us and share it with your friends. Your support is greatly appreciated. Now, back to the conversation. Is there a recent show or a movie that you feel did actually do a good job of representing disability? One of my favorite examples, 2.2. So there's a couple but um, some of the ones that I have to say are first, number one, Crip Camp was amazing. It's a documentary. If you haven't yes. seen it, watch it. It was nominated for an Oscar, so it didn't win. Um, but it's still a winner in our heart. So Crip Camp was, is one great one. Another really great one, which is also um, a Netflix property. Netflix isn't doing that bad, um, is special. Um, And I think special is really great because not only did it tell, not only was it done, written, and created by someone who lived that disability, it was also playing that person with a disability. You know, Ryan O'Connell got to, you know, they took his memoirs and made it a series and it did really, really well. And, you know, ran two seasons and he got to tell his own story from his point of view and his narrative, um, which I think is important and goes back to why we continue to get bad representation. It's because, you know, we don't have 
disabled people telling their own stories. It's like, who's going to be able to tell the story authentically from that point of view, that person that has lived that experience, who can tell a story of what it means to be a black disabled woman better than I can, or someone else who is black disabled woman. Um, so thinking about that. And so that's why both of those examples are perfect because not only that, you know, they were perfect because they were done by actual disabled people that live those journeys. So I think those are really, really important. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I'm a big fan of special as well, both of them, really. Um, but special, I, I read somewhere that there wasn't enough budget to hire a separate actor. So that's actually kind of how Ryan ended up playing the role. I, I don't know if that's fully true. But um, but hopefully, you know, the creators that, that are listening to this heard that stat around how much money is behind this, you know, audience. And special doing well on netflix you know that that really shows that there is an audience in it you know we kind of have to keep proving ourselves i think with hollywood but i i yes, yes i totally agree. i have another really quick good example too that's been making all the buzz yes. coda coda is is featuring people you know um Marley Matlin and um, Troy Coetzer, who, um, you know, are both deaf and, you know, with a deaf family and they were actually deaf. It is the biggest price tag sale that has ever come out of Sundance and it was bought by Apple TV Plus. Apple TV Plus, all the power in, you know, buying Coda and being able to tell that story and put it on their platform and paid a, a nice chunk of money. So that's another example. I'll stop talking. <laughs> no, I love it. Um, I, I recently watched that film, and um, I'm well. I'm happy. I did not know about the that it was the highest price tag. So that is really important as we move these conversations forward. Michelle, I would love for you to share around this. So a little bit of a, a different route, um, and more in like side characters and just how you incorporate different people with disabilities in there and my first thought was on a really recent one is Luca actually and I, I love animation I really think you can do a lot with animation but I think it kind of captured especially with the dad how children will interact with people who are different than them because it's not really reasonable to think that a child is not going to ask a question or not be a little bit confused it, it showed a very genuine expression of that kid looking at this big scary dad and seeing that he doesn't have an arm and then going uh like he doesn't know how to react to it which is a very reasonable response to happen and the dad kind of you know looks at him and makes like a kind of it got bitten off by a shark no i was born with it and then they move on they just move on and i love that's that the moment. only case they... <laughs> it's such a good moment it really is um and just in the background of the characters like i rewatched it again uh recently with my one of my friends and it's just everywhere. Like, you have all the kids playing around, and they're using mobility aids without a problem. Like, you have the kid with crutches kicking the soccer ball. You've got different people with wheelchairs. It's not an issue. They're just there, living their life, doing what they need to do. Um, and so I really think that's, like, a good way to just show characters in a very natural setting doing what they normally do. And then my second example is actually there is a single episode of Doctor Who in which um, the doctor and his companions go down into the middle of the sea and 
are like being chased by some like underwater monster or whatever it is but the captain of like the crew down there is deaf and so she's just communicating with sign and it's accurate sign and she's just communicating through bsl uh, so british sign language not american sign language um throughout the entire thing and yeah they have a translator there but she was that lead character within that show and it was that yeah yeah you're following the doctor but you always have these awesome characters within doctor who and they did a really really good job of just having that person there being the badass that she absolutely was taking control and helping the doctor out of that situation and so like thank you that's i we need to see more of that we need to see more going back to that you have like i see myself you know going to college or being successful like you saw that right here in this doctor who episode so i think i I have to come up congratulate them on that episode for actually doing a very good job of that thank you both for sharing and you know the theme here really is that we're seeing people who really know that lifestyle right they are the ones portraying these characters which is what makes it authentic i have a couple others as well um everything is going to be okay uh, is a show where one of the lead characters has autism and the actress herself has autism. And I think she's actually the first series regular um, who has autism to, to lead a show. And it was, you know, really exciting. And then Def, uh, sorry, uh, Raising Dion is a show on Netflix. Um, and there is a character with who uses a wheelchair and she actually uses a wheelchair in real life and they just did a really great job with that so those are kind of my two that i'll throw in there nice i love those examples too uh everything's gonna be okay and both of those are like you know ones that i i really really enjoy <laughs> oh and speechless of course speechless yes. right yes definitely <laughs> um so is there any, are there any kind of maybe interesting facts that our audience might be surprised to learn about in terms of disability within the U.S.? It's kind of a broader one, but I don't know if there are any other facts that either of you have to share. Um, I, I think some facts, um, and these are different ones, uh, and I'm actually kind of a part of that a little bit. Um, I was like, I don't know the exact number, but um, people with disabilities, and this was pre-pandemic, I was like, I should have brought up all my facts, um, you know, are more likely to be unemployed because of the stigma behind having a disability. You know, before I started the work that I'm doing now, I couldn't even get a job in a movie theater collecting tickets, Um, even with, you know, an education and background in marketing and, you know, going to college and all of those things. I was told my wheelchair was a safety hazard and they really thought I was not smart enough to be in a movie theater to collect tickets. So I think, you know, one of the things is media plays a huge part in that and what people assume about someone with a disability, you you assume their education level. And I can't tell you, um, I don't wish this on anybody, but like even to this day, like even currently in 2021, when I open my, when people meet me in person and they hear me speak, sometimes one of the first things that come in their mouth that comes out of their mouth is, oh my gosh, you speak so well. And it's because of the assumption you have that I'm uneducated. And so, um, but 
because of that barrier, but not only that, people with disabilities are more likely to be unemployed, and this was pre-pandemic. Um, and not only that, uh, people born with their disability, um, only 7% of people born with their disability complete college. Um, and that is because of lack of access and lack of opportunities and people, you know, not diagnosing or properly taking care of uh, making accommodations for someone that may have a learning disability or, or things like that. Or I've had told, heard a story of someone telling me that they were in college. And one of the professors, sorry, I had to take a sip of water. Um, the professor actually mistakenly told them that they weren't having class because they were hoping that the student who was a wheelchair user wouldn't show up because they didn't want to change and make accommodations to go to a wheelchair accessible classroom. Um, wow. I just heard so many crazy, you know, you know, really horrible stories of, you know, people with disabilities having lack of access to just completing college so thinking about those things and how are we going to be employed and i don't know if people know but having a disability in itself is expensive like wheelchairs are not cheap medical supplies are not cheap um and you know so much that people with disabilities have to battle with is having their medical needs cared for or trying to get a job and to be able to cover that and so you know, I want people to really think about that while not creating access and opportunities for people with disabilities to have jobs, especially in entertainment, um, to be in the room. It continues to perpetuate this this horrible, vicious cycle of just forced oppression for people with disabilities. And this is something we really have to think about. Thank you for sharing that. Yes. Um, we're going to start wrapping up here, but Tatiana, I would love to hear a bit about some of the resources that respectability offers content creators. Um, so if you can check out respectability.org, we have a disability inclusion toolkit where basically you can go and find out about various disabilities. You can find out about making accommodations for people with disabilities. Um, to be able to hire them, to be able to hire them as actors, be on set, hire them. We have our lab program for entertainment professionals with disabilities. These are all very well-trained people with disabilities that work behind the camera um, who are just looking for a shot to be able to do what they love, that they're, they're trained to do, but they have additional barriers due to the lack of access to the entertainment industry. So if you want to find out about hiring any of our lab alum who are very well qualified, they were vetted by experts in the industry. Um, so that is something we do. And we always find out as we pick them, we always say one thing, could they be hired tomorrow and work on a set as a DP, as a PA, as a director, as a writer, as an animator? They are all qualified in what they do. Um, so check that out. Check out our Hollywood Inclusion Toolkit. And if you are working on a project and looking for someone to guide you and consult you um, and connect you with people with that lived disability experience um, to collaborate with or to just get general feedback and consultation, you can please reach out to respectability.org. Um, you know, I'm the lead consultant there, so more than likely you would talk with me. And we help with everything from script development to, you know, helping you shape characters all the way up into marketing and promotion. 
So if you need help with that assistance in, you know, getting disability right, you can contact us. Thank you so much for sharing that. I want to just give um, a quick opportunity in case anyone in the room has any questions they would like to ask. Just want to open that up really quick before we wrap up. Please feel free to raise your hand if you have any questions. And then if not, um, I'm Tatiana and Michelle, thank you so, so much for having this conversation with me. Is there anything else that we didn't get to cover today that you wanted to add to this conversation? I mean, we'll, we'll clearly have to have more conversations about this, but if there's anything that either of you feel like adding. I think the last thing, just like echoing it, is that there is a whole list and world of disabilities beyond just physical disabilities. And that's something that like we need to take account of and that you're not always going to see someone's disability. And, um, you know, echoing what we said at the very beginning of like, this is the only, only group that you can join at any point in your time. And it's really important that we understand that this is such a large community that's also has lots of different factions of different things. You have so much diversity within just one little minority. Um, and so just like to remember that as we move forward, that we have physical disabilities, we have invisible disabilities, we have all sorts of disabilities, some that are permanent, some that stay are only for a short amount of time. And just we need, I think, having that in our head as we move forward and like educate the next generations and so on and so forth is going to be really, really important. Thank you so much. Tatiana? Yes. No, I just want to echo what shell said that is so on point um exactly disability is a spectrum it's visible non-visible all of that so being cognizant of that all right well thank you to all of our listeners thank you so much tatiana michelle this was so wonderful that concludes this episode of the scholars and storytellers podcast a very special thanks to our wonderful guests tatiana lee and michelle lachese and our moderator, Sheena Brevi. If you have a minute, rate and review us. And if you have any friends who you think would like the show, share it with them. If you're interested in learning more about our work, please visit us at scholarsandstorytellers.com and follow our social media accounts by searching Scholars and Storytellers. This podcast was produced by the Center for Scholars and Storytellers, with special thanks to Jim Oles for creating the intro music, the UCLA Film School, Mira Liebenthal, Annie Myers, Dr. Colleen Russo-Johnson, and Jeremy Shane. Goodbye for now, and thank you for listening.